All right, well, good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. If you would, take your Bible and turn to two passages. 1 Peter chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 27. 1 Peter 2 and Matthew 27. This started out to be one message, and I'm turning it into two because I didn't think you'd want to stay here till 8.30 and listen to me. So, because I got five points with subpoints. <laughs> anyway, so we'll start out in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at the example of Christ in his suffering tonight. 1 Peter one, uh, 2, verse 21 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Again, no matter what was done to him, he did no sin. He never did wrong. You know, no matter what's done, God never doesn't react to what we or angels or the devil does, he always does what is right, what is just, and according to his holiness. So he did no sin. There was guile found in his mouth. That means there was no, he, he didn't speak with a forked tongue, you know. Um, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So, I want to think about it tonight, that the example that he was to us, leaving an example that we should follow in his steps, the example of suffering. So with that in mind, go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. I guess it was uh, Sunday night a week ago that we looked at some of this, but we're going to look at some more of it tonight from the suffering of Christ. Matthew 27 says, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, we saw that he was condemned, repented himself brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. He cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them in the treasury because it is the price of blood. He took counsel and brought, bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, They took thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them to the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. 
Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether twain we that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out to more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. When they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and he reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and took the reed, and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe from him, put his own raiment on him, and let him wait to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. When they were come unto the place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him, and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be filled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, upon my vestures they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And set up over his head, and his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temples and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down on the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. So I'm going to stop reading there. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your word tonight. We thank you, Father, for uh, our Savior and his love for us and demonstrated by his going to a cruel cross and dying a cursed death, shedding his precious blood for remission of our sins. And Lord, we thank you for the example and the testimony that he gave of suffering. And I pray that you help us be willing to sacrifice ourselves to live for you, to honor you with our lives. We just encourage our hearts tonight. Thank you again for your love and mercy. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about the example of suffering for Christ, you know, of course, Peter tells us that he left us an example of suffering. Uh, Paul also left us a, a good testimony, an example of willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ, and many others in the Bible have as well. But I want to look at several things tonight as we think about this suffering of Christ. And first of all, the vindictive mockery of him. In verses 27 through 31, we have the mockery of the soldiers 
uh, where it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered in him the whole band of soldiers. They stripped him, put on him a scarlet robe. When they plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from, from him, put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. This, this we might be likened to the mockery of the world. And here we find the soldiers, of the Roman soldiers, of course, uh, after he has been condemned to death uh, by Pilate, and Barabbas has been released, they, they first make a mockery of him before they crucify him. Uh, they, you know, make, you know, here's, here's the guy that's supposed to be the king of the Jews. And we can laugh at him. We can spit in his face. We can buffet him. We can make a fake crown out of thorns and put it on his head. And we can scourge him. He's under our control. He's under our, our dominion. You know, the world wants to put us in a little box and make us do what it wants. They may, may call you names. They may make fun of you. You know, Jesus told us this would happen in John chapter 15, John chapter 15, verses 18 through, or, yeah, 18 through 25. Jesus told his disciples that the world, and told us that the world's going to hate us. John 15, verse 18 says, If the world hate you, Ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, would the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I have said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they keep my, have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause." You know, it's interesting here, he says two times about, it refers to if he had not done among them the works that he did, they, they had not had sin. In other words, they wouldn't have really known how sinful they were. See, Jesus, and, and you'll find this is often true, if your life or your testimony or your words expose or bring to light the sinful and the wickedness of the world and even other Christians, you know what's often going to happen? There's going to be a backlash against you. I remember Pastor Webb saying one time when he was at, I think he was, when it was at Clemson, it was a hot summer day, and him and this other guy were supposed to be out doing yard work, I think, of some kind. And, and he said this other guy was very heavy, and all he wanted to do was sit around in, in the shade tree and, and sip lemonade all day long or tea, you know. And he said, I'm, a, I'm there working, and, and all of a sudden, you know, he said, I never did anything to this guy. But all of a sudden, this guy said, I hate you. See, what was the problem there? The problem was, Pastor Webb's working exposed his laziness. And he hated him for it. See, the world, and, and, and the reason they do this, Jesus says, 
is the God have no cloak for their sin. It's because if they they hateth me, they hate the Father also. They don't know Him that sent me. They don't know God. Yeah, the world may call you names, make fun of your convictions or your standards. Your standards establish or display some natural laws of God. Okay, dress standards really display the natural law of God, that there's a difference between men and women. There's a distinction. And, and dress standards display that. You know, there's a difference. There is a difference between male and female. You know, God, God has established that very clearly in His Word, and He's established different roles for male and female. And the world hates that idea and is violently opposed to it. Although it's starting to backfire against the feminist movement with the transgender thing. But, you know, they're opposed to that. They demand equality. It's not a matter of equality. It's a matter of biological distinctions between a man and a woman. There are distinctions. There are differences. Well, see, the world hates that. How many other things? You know, the world likes to drink. And, of course, they want to make, you know, they're encouraging social drinking now. You know, how often do we give in or compromise our faith a little to appease the difficulties, to not make it so obvious who we are, to ease the situation for ourselves? But Jesus said, if, if, you, if, you, if, if you love me, the world's going to hate you. The world's going to hate you. Don't be surprised if the world doesn't like you. Not because of your person, but because of how you live and who you live for and who you serve. It's because of your relationship with God and your allegiance to Him that the world hates you. You Jesus pointed us out to the Apostle Paul, Saul, on the road to Damascus when he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now, you know, Paul probably thinking, I never persecuted Jesus. I persecuted Stephen, and I persecuted all these other Christians. But really, that persecution was not against those people, for if those people had not been followers of Christ, Paul wouldn't have, perse- Saul wouldn't have persecuted them. But again, we see here, of course, that Christ suffered it. We see the, also the mockery of false religion in verses 39 through 43. It says, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down to the cross. Likewise, all the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and the elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. He the big king of Israel, let him come down now, come now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. Now, that phrase there, destroy us the temples and build us it in three days, is found in John chapter 2 and verses 18 to 21, where Jesus answered, and he had just cleansed the temple. And they asked him, kind of, I think they asked him something about what authority he had to do these things, and he said, and they asked, or they, they asked him, What sign showest thou unto us? Seest thou do these things? And he said, Destroy this temple in three days, and I will raise it up. And then said the Jews, 
Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou wear it up in three days? But of course, he spake of the temple of his body. And he wasn't speaking of that marble and gold and silver temple and wood, all that was made of. No, he was speaking of his own body. You can destroy this temple, and they would destroy this temple, that temple he was living in. But he said, I'll raise it up in three days. Again, they lacked understanding of what he was speaking about. But it's, it's always true that religious people, and I say this on purpose, religious people have always been the greatest persecutors of true believers. Always. Throughout history. You know, when Brother Alexander was here, he talked about the Waldensians and the suffering that they had at the hands of the Catholic Church and, and many others throughout history. Millions and millions and maybe billions of people died at the hands of the Catholic Church. Christians. Even some Catholics. I mean, if all you had to do was question the authority of the church, and you could be put to death. Because, you know, sort of like the black lives, or the, the critical race theory now, uh, you know, even if you're not guilty, the fact that you're white or the fact that you're a man, you are guilty. So if you even question anything about the Pope or the authority of the church, no matter if you were a loyal Catholic, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't clear your name. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things, notice, of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. The Roman government, Pontius Pilate, had part in the crucifixion of Christ but he was not the instigator of it. He was not the one that sought it out. It was the religious leaders of Israel. The ones who were supposed to know who he was. But see, he exposed their hypocrisy and their sin. And so it was them that would conspire to put him to death. But again, in John chapter John chapter 16 and verses 1 through 3, Jesus continues there about the world hating us, and then he, and then he expands a little bit on that, and he says this, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue. You know what a sin, the word synagogue here is assembly. It's, a, where we get to, it's where we get our word church. So the synagogue was the Jewish assembly, so it's like a, a church. It was a place where the, the, the the, New Test the, the Jews in the New Testament times, um, or even uh, uh, since the time of their uh, dispersion, uh, their captivity, you know, when they come back to, to Israel uh, throughout the land, and even in foreign countries, they, they built synagogues where they would go on the Sabbath day, and the scriptures would be read and prayers made and so on and so forth, sort of like a church building. And he says, so they're going to put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think, notice, that he doeth God 
service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. So they're going to persecute. The time's going to come, he said, when they're going to persecute and they're going to say, we're doing God's service. Catholic Church has always said they're doing God's service. But there's a push now to put government in that place. You know, New York Times, here in the last six, eight weeks, had an article that described President Biden as, quote, perhaps the most religiously observant commander-in-chief in half a century, unquote. Now, I've heard some big lies, but that's about the biggest one I've ever heard in my life, or the biggest scam I've ever heard in my life. But you know, he is somewhat religious, does go to Mass once in a while. But then, there's another Washington Post had an article by Emily Wax Thibodeau, January 11th, 2021, quote, Biden is the most pro-LBGTQ president in history. Quote, Biden has made it clear that he intends to weaponize the law to crush dissent in order to implement a far-left agenda, unquote, said Kristen Wagoner, General Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, a conservative legal organization that says it protects religious and moral convictions and freedom of speech. Quote, that impacts not just people of faith, but all Americans who want to live according to their convictions, the government can't engage in religious bigotry, unquote. Again, that's Christian Wagner saying that. But this was an article. You know, Biden is the pro, most pro-LBGTQ president in history. And if you listen to him talk, by the way, he said from the very get-go that he was going to go after churches because he considered it hate speech to preach against sodomy, same-sex marriage, and transgenderism. It's the, he, he, again, he told one lady that it's the equal rights issue of our day. It's not an issue of equal rights. It's an issue of morality. And so we see the, the vindictive mockery of Christ, of Christ here, and we see that increasing in our world today. Christians are being uh, mocked and made fun of, and so on and so forth. But anyway, then I want you to notice the second thing we see here. Uh, the vinegar to relieve the suffering of Christ. Notice verses 33 and 34 of Matthew 27, where it says, And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Now, you know, I never really noticed this before, but this, you know, I I'd always knew that he, while he was on the cross, they put a, they put a, a like a, a thing of hyssop soaked in vinegar and put it to his mouth because he said, I thirst, you know, and tried to give him a drink. But, but here, this is actually before he's crucified. They're trying to give him a, a drink that's a vinegar that's mingled with gall or in, in some of the other gospels, it's referred to as myrrh. Now, so this, this drink, what is actually this drink is, was a narcotic. 
to dull the pain of the crucifixion. So, really, in a sense, the soldiers are kind of being kind. This is, an, you might say, an act of kindness, if you can call it that, in the midst of this mockery and, and uh, injustice, to, to offer a person this narcotic to dull the pain of the, of the crucifixion. However, Jesus would not drink it. And I believe there's a reason for that. Alexander McLaren said this, quote, The cup which we, he had to drink needed that he should be in full possession of all his sensibilities to pain and of all his unclouded firmness of resolve. And so his patient lips closed against the offered mercy. He would not drink because he would suffer. And he would suffer because he would redeem. His last act before he was nailed to the cross was an act of voluntary refusal of an open door of escape from some portion of his pains. Unquote. So if he'd have drunk this vinegar mixed with gall, it would have dulled the pain that he endured on the cross, but he refused it because he came for that purpose. He came to be a sin bearer. He came to suffer and die. And he didn't, and he needed all his sensibilities. John 18, 11 says, Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up the sword into thy sheath. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? You see, he, wouldn't see, he would not seek to escape from any suffering he was to endure to be our Savior. His actions and words on the cross must not be done under the influence of narcotics, but by him being in full control of his senses, so he could prove that he laid down his life of his own volition. You see, he didn't flee and try to avoid the suffering. Because he was the chosen one of God to bear it for us. See, to receive this narcotic would have been to limit his effectiveness in his suffering. You know how often do we limit our effective service to avoid suffering? So many live like Lot, pitch their tent toward the world just to be a little worldly because it's more convenient there. Use this music, of course put Christian words to it. But we want the assurance of everlasting life. We want the Savior, just not the Lord and Master, you know. That's mainstream Christianity. We want the blessings, but not the service or the sacrifice. I read one time where one man said to another, I'd give the world to be as happy and as content as you are. And the other replied, that's what it cost me. You know, Moses' full and rewarding life cost him Egypt. Abraham's full. The Bible says he died full of days. That means he fulfilled his life. 
He, he, he lived to the fullest of life that life had to offer. So Abraham's full life cost him Ur of the Chaldees, leaving the land of idolatry, separating from Lot. That's what it cost him. You know, Mordecai's promotion almost cost him his life. He risked his life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Bible tells us they yielded their bodies. You know, are we willing to count the cost, to sacrifice for the Lord? We just want it where it's easy, where everyone's nice. I'll take the gospel unto the uttermost. That's great, just not for me. I remember a lady saying to me one time, we were talking about having a pioneer spirit. And she said, oh, no, I want to look out the window and see mom's house. I mean, this is a 40-year-old woman. Look at Matthew chapter 16. And the Lord may not lead you anywhere else, but he may lead you across the street. He may lead you to talk to somebody that's difficult. He may lead you to do something that's difficult and uncomfortable in your life. I remember we were in Maine. Somebody died. I don't know who it was. And there's somebody that we knew in the church. I don't think it was somebody in the church. And one of the ladies said, you know, I was talking, we were talking about going to the viewing. And she said, I don't go to such things. It makes me uncomfortable. I said, well, it's about time you get out of your comfort zone and think about somebody else other than yourself. In Matthew 16, in verse 24, it says, And when they were come to Capernaum, uh, I'm in chapter 17. Matthew 16, verse 24. Yeah. Then said Jesus unto the disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For who will save, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what shall a man profit if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. You know, there is a reward for faithful service. There is a reward for sacrifice of self. And he's, he's coming with his reward. In, in um, Matthew chapter 19, again, uh, verse 27, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You see, those disciples whom Jesus chose and forsook everything to follow him, the Lord assured them a place of privilege, a place of reward. He said, you're going to sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve, that'll be during the millennium. And then he says, this would be for us, in everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. You 
You see, God expects us to be willing to forsake our own kin to follow Him. We're to love Him more than them. You know, sometimes, sometimes your greatest opponents can be they of your own household, your own family. To follow the Lord. Of course, in Luke chapter 14, also we see this same thing. Verse 25, Luke 14 says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said to them, If any man come unto me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So we must be willing willing to suffer for the Lord. And Christ was an example of suffering for that for us. He suffered what was expected and asked of him. But then I want you to notice the third thing here. The villains to malign Christ, verses 38 through 44 of Matthew 27, 38 through 44, it says, And then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, the other on the left. They passed by, reviled, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, for thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. So again, we see here the, the, the thieves uh, that are crucified with him, uh, and, and that were crucified with him, cast the same in teeth, you know, villainized him. And the word thief here, there's two words actually in the New Testament that describe thieves in the New Testament. One, one refers to, like, if, if you had somebody that watched your house and waited till you left. Because they didn't want to get into a confrontation. They just wanted something out of your house. In fact, if you were there, they would not try it. Because they didn't want a confrontation. They don't want to hurt anybody. They just want to take something. That's one word. The other is, is what's used here, refers to those who would rob you in plain daylight and plunder and kill you. And this is the thieves we're talking about here. Uh, it's this, Luke describes them as malefactors, which means criminals. And it is common belief, and I think it's, it's probably very accurate, that Barabbas, who was released, was the leader of this band. Leader of these thieves. Uh, in fact, Mark 15, verse 7 tells us that he was guilty of insurrection and Murder. You know, during the time of the Roman occupation of the land of Israel, there were bands and groups of Jewish, zealous Jewish uh, people, men, who went about robbing and plundering wealthy Romans, uh, unawares, and you know, working underground, if you will, in an effort to eventually overthrow the Roman government. That was their goal. You remember Simon Zelotus, one of the disciples? Yeah. 
That was one of them. He was a zealot. And that's what they did. And so Jesus is crucified between these two thieves, these murderers, to declare him the leader of these criminals. To be the scum of the earth, the plunderer and murderer. And here he is, a just man. But I want you to notice the second thing we can see. We see the prophecy concerning these villains. In Isaiah 53, verse 12, it says this, Therefore why divide him a portion with a great, and he shall divide the spoil with a strong, because he hath poured out his soul on the death. He was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made, made intercession for the transgressors. You see, he was numbered with transgressors. Again, that doesn't mean that God the Father regarded him as a sinner. But at his death, he was regarded as a transgressor. He was treated as one. He died as one. For in the place of transgressors, the just for the unjust, Peter tells us. You know, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So you have these villains who malign him. And of course, the religious leaders and the chief priests and so on and so forth along with them. But we see that Jesus endured it. You know, Hebrews 12 and verse 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The Bible says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the suffering. And he despised the shame. And the Son of God, can you imagine the, the, the holy, harmless, sinless Son of God being crucified between two murderers? Being presented as one of them or the leader of them. The one who never killed anybody but raised people from, <coughs> from the dead. And we, so we, <clears throat> we see here Christ, an example of suffering for us. In Matthew 5, verse 43 to 48, the Bible again says this, Ye have heard, that hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate that enemy. That's the philosophy of the world. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. You love those that love you and you hate those that hate you. That's the world's philosophy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Thank you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And really what he's saying there is, look, if you love them that love you, you're not doing any better than the world is. 
Where's the love of God dwelling in your heart? If you just like the world, love those that love you and you hate those that hate you. That's what the world does. That's not God-like. It's not Christ-like. For God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. In the world there means we were at enmity against God. We're the enemies of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the public and so. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Excuse me. And so... We see that in Christ, in his suffering, is an example for us. Peter says, if you go back to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, we're not supposed to live like him can't go back and live in those days, but here's what we're supposed to do. Who did no sin? When people sin against us and do wicked things against us, we're not supposed to do wicked things back. We're supposed to do right things back. Neither was guile found in his mouth. He didn't lie. He didn't use any deceit. There was no deception in his tongue. He spake the truth plainly. Who was he was reviled. Again, here we see it. He reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And so as Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to suffer as he suffered. We are to love others who do us wrong. Give them the truth. Have concern and compassion for them. Even if they don't care a lick about you and would just soon see you dead. Do you know many times a kind word will unarm an angry and defiant person. What's by the Proverbs say? A soft answer turneth away wrath or strife. I can't remember how it goes. A soft answer. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't return threatenings with threatens. And that's the way we, be, we ought to be. He was an example, even, even in suffering for us. He spoke. He did what was right. Might God help us to follow his example.